And now um, we're going to explore this um, verses. Actually, this is verses of the faith mind, and I and it's often uh, I always think of it as verses on the faith mind. And there's going to be there are three I saw typos in this. I got it. I googled it and put it down. And uh, this is the translation that I know quite well. And I took a look, and uh, yeah, there were a few differences. I'll tell you when we get there. It is if you want to have see where there's a copy, uh, another copy of it. The text that I know, it's in this book, Teachings of the Buddha, edited by Jack Cornfield and Gil Franzel, uh, which is a compilation of like the Buddhist greatest hits, and it's in there. Um, I first got into it um, in uh, yeah 1974 with um, when I no, it was even before 74. Uh, Ramdas had a series of of records called Love Serve Remember, uh, and they're actually now out. They've remastered them, and you can download them and get them from Ramdas's uh, uh, website, ramdas.org. Uh, and in this series of records, um, the one one side one, there were six six records, and one record was the Third Zen Patriarch and. And when Ramdas said that he'd been hanging out with us for six months, that that was the only thing he was he was working with, just a couple of lines every few days. I said, "Oh well, that sounds pretty cool." And I um, I was really captivated uh, when I listened to it, and when I um, got the little treatise. It used to be a little booklet that uh, a friend printed for 15 cents, and I bought like. A, f- a couple of hundred of them and gave them out to, to friends because uh, I said, here it is. This is it. This is all you need. Um, and if you do get it, if you really get it, it's, it probably is all you need. Um, it's, it was written by this guy, Seng Stan, and actually it's, it's sometimes spelled Seng Stan or Seng Tsan. Uh, who was the third Zen patriarch of China? Who uh, uh, he his birth was? It's not known about his birth, but he was he died just uh, around 600 A.D. 606. I read in one place 609 in another, and he is the uh, the first patriarch of China was Bodhidharma, who came from India to uh, to China and sharing the the Buddhist teachings. And then the the second Zen patriarch uh, or Chan patriarch was um, this guy I think Haike uh, or Huike, and here's the story about how he became the third Zen patriarch or how he got the transmission. He met him when he was uh, Seng San met uh, the second patriarch after he was 40 years old. Uh, so he kind of was came to practice late in life. And he said, and he had been sick, quite quite ill. And he said, uh, "Please, Master, um, I please help heal me, absolve me of all of my sins. I must have done something very bad to have all this illness. Please absolve me of my sins." And the the second patriarch said, uh, "If you can show me your sins, I'll abs- I'll absolve you of them." And 
He looked all around. He couldn't find the sins. He said, I can't find them. I don't know where they are. And he said, okay, then you're absolved. You know, There's no, nothing to hold on to. And in Zen, they have these classical instant awakenings, and he kind of got it. Um, and that's about all that's known about this guy, other than he wrote a really good piece of Dharma here. And we'll go through it. What I'd like to do is go through it a little at a time, uh, chew on some lines, have some comments that you, you might have, and also just see how we could possibly apply this to our life. It's one thing to hear some really good high dharma. This is high dharma. But it's quite another to try to apply it in a practical way. What does this mean for me? When you hear the teachings, just as I said, this is like coming from a very, from the ultimate level of reality. So if some of it doesn't quite, if your mind can't wrap around it, don't worry about it. Think of it like uh, if you're if you're old enough to to or you're familiar enough to know to come to that sing along in a few weeks. Uh, I think of it like a Bob Dylan song, you know, where you can't dissect every word, but you kind of get the whole feeling as you have been immersed in it. <clears throat> so we'll just uh, take a little at a time and see see how it goes. <clears throat> The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. That's a pretty powerful opening line. And when he says the way, actually that's a translation for the Tao. The way or the Tao. And in China, Buddhism kind of mingled with uh, with Taoism, and so there's this flavor of of the perfection of everything. The great, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the the dis-ease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things are not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. I think that's what we'll do, is just take a chunk and, uh, and then go into it. I think it would be too much to read through all the way at once. Let's take a look at these lines. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Hmm. Anybody here? <laughs> yeah. 
it's amazing the capacity of the mind to decide what we like against what we don't like. And if you, if you know in, in Buddhist uh, psychology and Buddhist uh, in the four foundations of mindfulness, the second uh, foundation of mindfulness is seeing the flavor, the, the feeling tone of experience. Every moment has a quality of either pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality. So in every moment, and even neutrality after a while, either becomes boring, unpleasant, or peaceful, pleasant. Um, so it's very rare that you're not on one end or another of that valence. How is it possible to not have preferences with pleasant or unpleasant happening in every moment? Mm. This is not a koan. I'm not asking you, but just uh, I'll I'll ask you th- I'll ask you this. Think of a time where you really wanted something. In fact, just get in your mind something, a time that you wanted something and you realized you weren't going to get it and somehow were not swayed by your preferences. Where there was a letting go of that wanting mind. It's not going to happen. Okay. Can you recall that at all? Share a little, anyone who wants to share any reflections on, on this line. Uh, one, of the, Real close. Uh, one of the things that has been um, powerful for me in my practice lately is um, how I've noticed um, being present with really unpleasant states and <clears throat> having them shift and transform and reveal something. Um, and having had you know, that experience enough times, when I meet them, I sort of see them as having this potential for unlocking something, like there's something hidden. It's a reminder. Um, mm. So in a, I don't know if that exactly in the spirit of this, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's not like I prefer to have unpleasant things, but... Mm-hmm. It's like I see them see them as valuable. So, so there's a way that you can relate to the unpleasant in a way that doesn't create more contraction, right? Uh, and and even perhaps open reveal something that you hadn't seen before. Yeah, they're they're kind of interesting and exciting in some mm-hmm. way. So, yeah. If you think this is about getting rid of your preferences, watch out. Because if you say, oh, I shouldn't have preferences, guess what? You just got caught one more time. Oh, I prefer not to have preferences. <laughs> then I'll really get it together. So it's tricky. This is, this is very subtle stuff. So it's not... And even the Buddha talked about uh, not being attached to one's opinions. There's a difference between having an opinion 
and not being attached to it. And if you come to a place of real equanimity, and this is possible, probably many people here have tasted some moments in their life where it just what it is what it is. You know, you ever have that feeling where you just say, this is how it is, and it's okay how it is. Those moments are, are so profound because for a few instances, we give up the struggle. How, how, how sweet it is, as they say. How sweet that moment is where it's just like it is. And just to even taste that gives you just a sense of the possibility and the direction of, of the mind that's really free. Not that you don't like something more than than something else, but to really come to that place of complete equanimity that things are just as they are. This is, this is a, a moment of freedom. Now let's look at that next line. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. That line tripped me up a lot. Anyone, maybe, who hasn't hung out with this before get a sense of what that could possibly mean? And uh, why don't you pass the mic all the way in the back? There's a, raise your hand. Uh, and say your name, too. Janet. Hi, Janet, yeah. Um, I think of it as grasping and aversion. Yes, okay, excellent. When grasping or when attachment and aversion are both absent. All of a sudden, that makes sense. If you say, what do you mean? How can love, how can it be good for love to be absent? The way I see it, a mind that's really free, there's natural expression of loving kindness. So it's not that you have to get rid of your love, but when attachment and aversion are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. Hmm. Any anyone can relate to that in, in your own your own life, your own practice? You know that just that moment where you you're kind of quite content and all of a sudden the thought comes, hmm, wouldn't it be nice if... Oh, I don't... It's too bad that that's... And in a moment, the mind that's at peace splits from opening to... The reality. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. Now, again, this is talking at a really high level. So not to put this on yourself and say, this is how I've got to be. It's just seeing the possibilities when the mind is that spacious. The difference between that and the wanting, the grasping. Sometimes in meditation... If you're feeling very centered, really present, 
a very interesting thing to explore is just any movement of the mind towards or away from anything. And you can really get this line directly. Ah, everything is just as it is. Ooh, you know, oh, I want more of this. Or, oh, I hope this doesn't end. In that moment, it's gone. The smallest distinction. And as we're going through this, I, I encourage you to apply it to meditation practice as well as your daily life practice. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the dis-ease of the mind or disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not, are not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. Mm. Any um, any comments? Yeah, Carol, how about you? Um, shortly after I was doing, <coughs> shortly after I was started doing meditation, I was doing the painting experience in the city. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to paint, so I was doing geometric things. But one day, a, a tray, a, a tree with two birds in it, came on the paper as I was painting. And the teacher came around and he said, "How are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm doing fine." But look here, this bird looks like a bird, and this bird doesn't. And he said to me something I have held with me all these years. He said. It has a right. It has a life. It has a life of its own, and a right, a right to exist, and a life of its own. Mm -hmm. And that's what. Not that I always feel that or act out that, but the truth of that came in so big for me mm -hmm. that I'll, I've never forgotten it. Mm -hmm. And this line points to that. Huh? Mm -hmm. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease. Of Oh, that's a nice bird. Oh, that's not that's not as good a one. It had to do with people too, not just my. If it happens to be in the creation that I was making on paper, it certainly means that everybody and everything in the world is holds to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he, thank you for for bringing that up. Here's one one way you might play around with this in your practice. Just notice as you're walking down the street what the mind does with each person that you pass. You know? Like, don't like, neutral. Like. In fact, uh, I'm remembering Joseph uh, Goldstein, my teacher, he said once he, he was watching, he was looking at the judging mind. This is a, the whole treatise is a lot about the judging mind and the, the freedom from it. And he said he uh, he just 
he decided to go into uh, the, the dining room. He was on his, uh, a retreat, sitting himself. And he would just, as each person came in the dining room, it was amazing how he had a judgment about every single person. You know, this is after you know, 25, 30 years of practice, you know, and and he's one of the wiser people I know, and just kind of, just seeing, oh, look at the mind do its thing. That's what happens. If you don't see it, you're caught in it. If you do see it, although it's humbling, you have a chance to not believe the judgments. Not that you'll get rid of them, but just to not believe them is freeing right there. So as you go through the, this, this week, I, I encourage you if you, can have, if you can play with it, make it a game, um, it's quite illuminating. Don't take it personally. And all you can do is just be yourself. Right, because the other corollary to that is, oh my goodness, I hope I'm coming off okay, so that people aren't judging me. Right? Well, do you ever try to be a little bit better than you are, so that people get impressed? You know, very painful. How do you? How how are you around somebody who's trying to be a little bit better? You know, a little bit more than who they are. It's not very impressive, is it? But when somebody is just themselves, there is something so compelling and, and relaxing and engaging when you're not trying to be anything other than who you are. So there's this paradox. You know, if you're thinking everybody is judging me, it is instant paranoia. And in the same way, if you're th- seeing how much you're judging everybody else, the corollary to that is, oh, they're judging me. Okay, you just see it, don't believe it, and just hold it with a lot of space. Then you're not engulfed in it. And then you can just be yourself, or at least a little bit easier to do that. Okay. Anything before we go on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's here right next to you. There's a, over there. Yeah. Yes. You said a few weeks ago this idea of I carry the weight of my judgments or the burden of my judgments. So so I was doing. I said that to myself one day every time that happened, and eventually I just got so tired of saying it to myself that I gave up. <laughs> The burdensome practice of judgments brings annoyance and weariness. That was the line. Page two on this. <laughs> this, this has been a very com- good companion. And I, I said, I think, I, I used to, I'd go into the, the dining room also and just, at, I, in, at IMS, or I played with just noticing my judgments. And every time I saw a judgment, I'd just say that line, you know the burdensome practice of judging. And I'd say it, just, I'd be saying it through the whole day. You know? Ah, you have to laugh. Yeah, okay, was there, yeah, Sheridan.
um, this is about likes and dislikes. Um, and I really disliked Bush, and I really, really like Obama. So what I'm noticing is when I read something in the paper about what Obama is doing, I automatically like it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's, lately it's been, the, the news has been, even he's agreed with Bush on some things. I think, well, he must have a good reason for this. <laughs> <laughs> and I am so biased that I, I'm not seeing clearly. I'm not even able to, to I don't know, make, make a good uh, judgment. <laughs> And there is such a thing as a good judgment. There's a difference between um, discernment, discriminating wisdom, and and, an emotional reaction that has a contraction to it. But it's great to see how we filter our experience through our biases. Humbling. Well, I was just thinking, what if... What if uh, our leaders, our Congress people, did not have preferences, and they were just figuring out how you know how to best make a, a certain decisions without bias? Mm-hmm. Well, so this this brings the whole issue of discernment to uh, into play because this is not about abdicating. Uh, judgment, good judgment and responsibility. It's more seeing when the contraction of mind gets in there and your biases that, that create your conditioning and the other person's biases that create their conditioning. And with that, you get take all the information as best you can. The way I see it, anyway, you see what is supporting the greater good, you know, your, your highest values. But if you're drawing the line between the good guys and the bad guys, when you see how subject you are to your own conditioning, um, chances are you won't be as effective in your, in your communication. That's, what, that's what's so amazing about Obama. As much Sometimes I'll say, you know, why isn't he... But he's just willing to see a much bigger picture and see other perspectives, which is sometimes frustrating and sometimes just quite extraordinary. His I, just, I just wanted to have a little more help trying to understand the last sentence of that. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't understand even just the surface uh, grammatical uh, construction, I think. I just wanted to clarify that. Actually, you mean, uh, I think the word are should be is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a misprint. Yeah. When I the deep meaning of things... Is not understood. Is not understood. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, but so it's basically saying when the deep meaning of things yeah. is not understood, the mind's essential peace is not disturbed. Yeah. No. Is disturbed to no avail. It's really, it's really disturbed. It is really disturbed. Yeah. Okay. When the deep meaning, when you don't see the bigger oh, picture, 
Yeah, it's, it is not understood. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, when you don't see the bigger picture, the mind's essential peace is disturbed. To no avail is, is like a way of saying it's really disturbed. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to the next part. The way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. Indeed, it is due to our choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. Live neither in the entanglement of outer things, nor, that word should be nor, nor in inner feelings of emptiness. Be serene in the oneness of things, and such erroneous views will disappear by themselves. When you try to stop activity to achieve passivity, your very effort fills you with activity. As long as you remain in one extreme or the other, you will never know oneness. So good. Isn't that good? The way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. I, I, that's, that's, for me, such a, a, a pr- powerful, profound line. Um, you ever have that feeling where everything is complete just as it is? That, that, for me, is real peace. Where, and it's, it, in a moment of mindfulness, I think that's the essence of the moment of mindfulness, where you don't need to add anything to make it a better moment or take anything away. It's perfect just as it is. Now, you might say, well, wait a moment. Is it perfect for... Wars, natural disasters, torture, disease, life feeding on life. How can you say that's perfect? The way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. I had a conversation with somebody here a few weeks ago like that. How How can it be perfect? How can it be? How how could your mind wrap around all the ways that things are that there's so much suffering in this world? How could it be perfect? Is it, John, is there a microphone? Here, why don't you just pass it? Okay. And if it is what it is, and when I try and argue with what is, I lose. And yeah, this is, I've been doing a lot of Byron Katie work recently, and this is just, you know, loving what is. 
And every time I fight with what is, I get stressed out and I lose. Okay, great. Any other comments? How can the way be perfect like vast space? I, it's an interesting question. I, I mean, even the judging of the perfect way is not the way. Uh, I mean, like there is, I don't know, there's the good stuff and there's the bad stuff. And, it, I mean, the question is, do we get caught up in it one way or another? Now, I don't know the, I don't know the, the balance point I mean, there's a part of me that's, that says, yes, I need, to, I need to act against the bad. I, I guess, you know, philosophically, um, one could ask the question, how could one know what act to take? I, I don't know. It re- it, it's a really tricky, it's a tricky question. And I, I find, uh, frankly, it's easier, it's easier just ride it, you know. Okay, this is just what it is. You know, we've got we've got Guantanamo, and we've got. Um, oh, I, I don't know. Have you got a, an answer for it? You know, I read the paper every morning. You know, people killed in Pakistan by drones and blah blah blah. I guess the way I relate to it is. Um if something is happening that's really painful, especially, um, if it's meant for me to do something about it, I will. If it's meant for someone else to do something about it, they will, and, and that happens. Mm-hmm. And if no one is able to do something about it, um, perhaps there's something that's happening there that we will benefit by just the pain of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly know in my own life that um, things that have been painful have been a source of, um, of being able to understand uh, when I see that happening for someone else. Mm-hmm. So even if at the time I didn't think it was a good thing, um, it, it ends up maybe being useful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank so you. Th- that's, that's... Otherwise, I would just um, be overwhelmed and um, not be able to do anything about anything. Mm-hmm. Just the other, uh, this last weekend, uh, Jane and I went to see the this movie Earth, the oh, kind of compilation yeah. of the, the Planet yeah. Earth yeah. series. It, it, fantastic photography. And uh, and it's one one scene after another of how hard life is out there. How it's a, uh, you know, lion eat uh, eat uh, elephant. Uh, there was one scene in there, uh, just one after another of life feeding on life, and and they cut away, you know, just in time. You know, it's. I remember when I was growing up, I watched Wild Kingdom, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom with Marlon Perkins. Anybody remember that? You know. And they would just cut away to the commercial each time. You know, whoop! There's the uh, 
there's the little antelope, uh, f you know, you know, getting uh, caught. You know, time for commercial mutual of Omaha. You know, your insurance company. Right? Um, never thought of that before. But that's that's part of the package. That's the way it works. And from where we're sitting, humans, you'd say, oh, but we should know better, right? I mean, but we, we should know better. Life is playing itself through us in the same way that it plays through that whole animal kingdom. We think we got it figured out, but life is moving through us. We act... As when I saw that movie, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, we do have a capacity for compassion that might be extraordinary. Maybe dolphins and whales ha have that, and maybe some animals, but we have an extraordinary compa uh, capacity for compassion. Like, you know, there's the Dalai Lama or people like, like, like that. And we have an extraordinary compa uh, capacity for inhumanity, for cruelty. But from where we're looking, we're in the middle of it and thinking, oh, we should be above this. But if you look in the bigger picture, we're not above it. It's just life playing itself out through us. And that is all part of this perfection, this fabric. At least that's the way I see it. There's and, and like you were saying, Sharon, you know, there's a, a Zen, uh, a Zen anecdote. This I, I'm, I probably mentioned this here before. Somebody, the, the guy is walking on his way to the Zen monastery, and he and he sees this family, this destitute family, and he just you know, feels really sorry for them. And he goes on his way, and he tells the abbot, and he says, you know, that family, they just their karma was so bad, they were really in such bad condition. Uh, it was it was too it was it was a shame. And the Zen master said, "How do you how do you know it wasn't your karma to help them?" You just say, "Oh well, that's their karma. That's the way it is." Well, your caring and your expressing and your involvement is part of that plan. So you can't just say, "Oh well, that's the way it is. Cool." If you're moved to do something, that's life moving through you as well. So, yeah, real loud because it's not here. Yeah, it's part of the way it's set up. Okay, let's let's go on. Indeed, it is it is due to our choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. Live neither in the entanglement of outer things nor in inner feelings of emptiness. You know that feeling of 
Ah, yes, let me go on my retreat. Yes, it's so wonderful to... Just emptiness. Mm. Do I really have to go back to the world? Oh, no. What a drag. Don't get caught in outside and don't get caught in inside. Be serene in the oneness of things and such erroneous views will disappear by themselves. When you try to stop activity to achieve passivity, your very effort fills you with activity. Now this is a really important one for all you high-achieving meditators. How many people have a first-hand experience with this line? If you get this, I mean, you, if you knew, well, this is the most common problem. This giant vacuum cleaner would come and just suck everything out of my mind and I'd be blank. I'll try really hard. I know if I try hard enough, docks. the harder you try, the more agitated the mind becomes. I have to say, this page seems like it's just meant to frustrate you to the point of... Um... Assertion and denial. To deny the reality is to find the meaning, but to pursue appearances it and go on the green, even though it's a relative reality. You want to know... To know. It is to me. It's like the more I try to explain it, the farther from the truth. Much fun. But if you're looking for the right answer in the back of the book, so that's one of the one of the reasons that meditation is so profound and why it's called insight meditation. It's not that you're you know, there was that, that shirt, meditation, it's not what you think. You see that? You know? That when you, when you really stop trying to figure, and you're just still, what is that, that line, Jesus' line, be still and know that I am God. You know? Then the unmanifest operates through you. So, it's so cool that not only you don't have to figure things out, just love silence. Love stillness. And everything becomes revealed in its own time. That's what, the, uh, that's what opening, my understanding of opening to the unconditioned is about. That you're getting to that place of stillness and it's like a, a trap door into something much more profound than the human mind can comprehend. Do not search for the truth. Only cease to cherish opinions. Might try that this week as a, as a practice. It's not that you have to get rid of your opinions. Just see what it's like to not cherish them. It's my opinion. I got it. I got it together. Just let go of the cherishing and the truth presents itself. So, okay, we're going to have to stop here. And uh, 
I, I would encourage you, if you want to hang out, if you want to take a peek and read the rest of it, by all means. But this week, you might play around with noticing the likes versus the dislikes, the preferences for still for emptiness or reality or your cherishing of the truth. Just see what it's like to come into stillness and let go of the, the figuring out mind versus on the faith mind. Okay, so for a moment, mm, come into stillness. Don't try hard. Just relax and allow for this moment to be complete just as it is. Nothing that needs to be added or taken away. Nothing that needs to be figured out. Just relax into the truth of this moment. And then wish this being called you well. May I have great peace. May wisdom and love be accessed and shared well. May I see my true nature. And then to share that with all beings. As I want to be happy, may all find happiness. May all find peace. May all see their true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere, including ourselves and everyone we know. May all beings be happy. Okay. Thank you very much. If you want to take it, uh, then please...